0: Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the last episode of the year. I love you so much. I just want to say a huge thank you for being here in my life, for listening to the show, for telling your friends about it, for writing me the most beautiful reviews, for talking about it in such incredible ways, for sending me the DMs on Instagram, for your emails, for so many of you who've come into our programs and shown up at our retreats and workshops. I'm just in awe of the kindness and the strength and the depth and the compassion and the talent and the ingenuity of this community. You guys are truly amazing and I am grateful and appreciative every single day. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We are going to be doing a big giveaway starting next week because it's going to be our six-year podcast anniversary since we first began in 2017. So stay tuned because there's going to be some really fun giveaways. I also wanted to just ask you to think about if you want me to be your coach in 2023, if you want to take an idea and turn it into income, if you want to step beyond whatever limiting thoughts have been swirling in your mind and actually step into something different and move into taking steps and the right steps and having a coach there who can help you actually create abundance getting paid to be you. If that feels like something you want to do right now, you can join Abundant Ever After and it is on holiday pricing. So the pre-sale price is discounted. If you go to kathyheller.com join, you can get in at the discount price and this is a 12-week program that has all the best parts of Abundant Ever After and all the best parts of me to do this combined together to help you not only rewire your subconscious so that you can start to be aware of where you've been maybe unconsciously holding yourself apart from who you really are and what you really desire, but then it also gives you several weeks to go through a process to help you build a business and scale a business getting paid to do the thing that you were meant to do. So it's really something I'm very proud of. And we've had tremendous results from thousands of people who've taken this program. I just had one of our past students write to me and let me know that she moved to Hawaii and she's making more money than she ever has. And I had another student who told me she just got a book deal and another student who told me that she just made $350,000 and she quit her job. And I'm just like, I'm amazed and I'm delighted and I'm also not surprised because success leaves clues. And once you've been successful, you have a really good sense of where people might be spinning their wheels and what actually works. And it's amazing because you can build a business with integrity. You guys have gotten to know me. like I don't spend a lot of time on those things that can feel like, quote unquote, you know, marketing and those things that are not really marketing, they just feel really complex and they kind of feel spammy. Like I don't do a lot of that stuff and I don't think you have to. And I also don't think you have to chase all the things that people sort of have you focus on that I don't think actually make a dent in the end of the day. I think you can do it from a place where you feel really like your best self, like the best version of you. And then you can meet customers and clients who are the best version of themselves. Anyway, if that sounds enticing to you, then you should get in now at the discount price, go to kathyho.com slash join. And if you missed our podcast class and you'd like to know about the pre uh self-paced version of that, you can DM me on Instagram and we can let you know how you can partake in that. Well, I'm so excited to close out 2022 with some more very memorable moments that we had over the past year. I hope that even if you heard some of these episodes, the full episodes, that these clips will remind you of something that maybe you needed to hear. The first clip is from the remarkable spiritual teacher, Rupert Spira. It was such a joy to talk to him and to hear him. And I just love the imagery he shared about our ego. Take a listen.
1: Okay, let me give you an analogy, Kathy, um, which which illustrates the situation that you've described very well. This joy that we long for, but we also fear it. Right. This irony of the one thing we want above all else is the one thing we fear above all else. Why is this? Consider the moth and the flame. The moth sees a, a candle at a distance it, it, in the open window and the candlelight is, it's the only thing the moth wants. It's attracted to the light. So it flies towards the candle. As long as it's flying towards the candle, the candle is what it wants above all else. It goes in a straight line for the candle until it gets about three inches away. And then suddenly it realizes in order to have the candle, I must die. Because the moment it touches what it wants, it dies. Well, the moth is the ego and the candle is happiness, joy. The candle of joy is the one thing the ego wants above all else. But the moment the ego touches that joy, it dies. Why? Because joy is the loss of the sense of separation. It is the loss of the sense of being a a needy, vulnerable, insufficient fragment. So the ego cannot have the joy it seeks. It must die into the joy it seeks. So the ego comes close to the joy. It's about to lose itself in it. And then it thinks, oh, no, I'll die. I'll no longer be myself and it pulls back again and that's the dance that that the ego rehearses over and over and over again the moth withdraws from the flame but then it thinks oh no all i want is the flame it goes back to the flame it gets 2 inches away and says oh no i'm going to die and it withdraws again
0: i mean can it be that on august 19th i just learned the whole meaning of life i mean that is like that's it. That is so clear and so profound. So what are we going to do if we have this practice of this moth and this flame and this ego? And it's so wired, right? Because it comes from a pattern in our mind that tells us this is how you're gonna yes, going to be safe. is to Yes,
1: right? we could define the ego, Kathy, as a qualification or a limitation of our being i am plus intelligent stupid young old healthy sick married single it's always i am plus something and the plus something is it's a feeling a relationship I am sad. I am lonely. I am tired. I'm upset. I'm married. I'm single. I'm a mother. I'm a father. It's always I am plus some qualification. So in other words, the the ego is our being. That's the I am plus some kind of a limit. Mm. Limit is a feeling, a thought, a belief, a relationship. So all that's necessary is to know what we essentially are. What we essentially are is that part of us that always remains. When we get undressed at night, our clothes are not essential to us. They come and they go. We put them on, we take them off. But our body is what we essentially are physically. We're not always cold. We're not always tired. We're not always lonely. We're not always married. We're not always wealthy. We're not always healthy. We're not but we always are, I always am. All that's necessary is to let go of everything, all the qualities that are derived from our thoughts, our feelings, our activities, our relationships. It doesn't mean to say we cease having thoughts, activities, relationships, but we no longer let them define us. What is it that defines us? Just our being, just pure being.
0: So beautiful. I now want to play a clip from comedian Pete Holmes, who's actually the person who told me about Rupert Spira. Even though Pete's career is in comedy, he's such a truth seeker. And he had some really beautiful insights to share, like this one.
2: There's just different altitudes to our life. Like, it's one life. It's one thing. But we can fly at different altitudes. And I I find there's value for me to separate them. Meaning, we're talking about I'm paraphrasing it, but there's a Rumi poem where it's like, you're in an apple orchard, just eat some apples, don't don't waste the day wondering who planted the trees or whatever. Meaning there's a time to just go like, I'm just talking to you. I know we're all one, but isn't it fun to play this game? And why did the oneness split if it didn't want to play this game? It, yeah. it wanted to do this. Yeah. My daughter's name is Lila. Lila means the dance or the play of the universe. So let's play, let's dance. You know what I mean? It doesn't all have to be, but it's not real or or nothing's really happening or whatever. So what we're talking about is like finding fulfillment or kind of filling out the suit of, of being a comedian and, and how that felt right to me. My favorite altitude to fly at is, is what you're talking about, which is what Deepak and Rupert Spira love to talk about, which is like, I haven't always been called Pete, meaning when I was a baby, I didn't know I was Pete, but I was, you know, I, I existed. I haven't always lived in Boston and I live in Los Angeles now, you know what I mean? So, yeah. but I can't say I'm a Los Angelino because I haven't always, so what Rupert would say is, so that means those things aren't essential to me. My name, where I'm from, yeah. what I do, th- those things aren't essential to us. So the, the process of self-inquiry, when you close your eyes and you say who or what, is aware of my experience. I was just doing it last night. I do, I do it as I fall asleep often, where I'm just sort of like, there's no limit. When you close your eyes, you can do it right now. There's no boundary. There's no boundary yeah. to this awareness.
3: Yeah. It's infinite.
2: Like Rupert would say, can you find a boundary on the other side of which this awareness is not? And of course you can't. It's one of the reasons why the universe feels so sort of familiar. We're floating in this infinite blackness but we are infinite blackness you know what i mean like it's like an as above so below sort of thing and we're sort of like okay but you realize that you are this you're the you're the whole thing you're so what i love about rupert is he says that that awareness that knowing is made of peace and is made of happiness because Mm -hmm. it's desireless and that's your real self so i'll tell you even though I've had my my tea and I'm very happy to be talking with you right now. You know, I think it, my daughter woke up at like six this morning and my wife got up with her and I, I got to sleep because I have a show tonight and I, I needed the extra rest or whatever, but I couldn't fall back asleep and I was just having that anxiety. Like you're just having like, sort of like an un, unfounded, reasonless anxiety. So I want to say, when you remember that who you are is peace, I know that and yet i still have these like bouts like it'll wash over me just like dread or or panic and that's when it's helpful to go who or what is noticing this panic oh. right now oh. and oh. and and with practice it gets easier to sink into that
0: really amazing another comedian who really was in tune with such a Bigger sense of what life is all about is Angela Johnson Reyes, who pretty much took us to church in this episode. Here's one example of the many great things she said.
4: Even now, where I'm at in my career, I can forget who I am. Like how we were talking earlier about I was on the set of friends as an extra and I just knew who I was. That was a really strong season of me knowing who I am. Even now, I can get in those seasons of doubt those seasons of just no vision, just lack of vision, cloudiness, and really hard to be a yes person because you forget who you are, which is why I also love journaling to go back and remind myself. And that's one part that I would love to quote in the Bible in Revelations. It talks about, they overcame the enemy by the word of their testimony. And to me, What that means and what that says is my words of my testimony, what I've already conquered, what I've already accomplished, what I've already dreamed for and achieved. When I say it, I'm conquering it again. When I say it and I hear myself, remind myself of who I am, remind myself of how strong I am, how creative I am, how set apart I am, how radiant. I am when I remind myself because I'm in a season of forgetting right now, I'm forgetting my power. I'm forgetting my authority. I'm forgetting my awesomeness. I'm forgetting my uniqueness. I'm forgetting. I'm doubting. Then when I remind myself hearing it, I'm saying it and I'm hearing it and it's going in my body and it's this whole circle of just empowering myself. I overcame once I can overcome again. I overcame that. I'm going to overcome this. And when you start reminding yourself who you are, then the yeses come. Okay, I'm ready. I'm going. And how you remind yourself for different people. For me, sometimes when I feel disconnected, when I feel not grounded, it's meditating, it's journaling. I'll stop and I'll think, it, oh, I haven't been journaling for the past couple of weeks. Oh, I haven't meditated. I haven't just paused and sit in silence and know that God is real in the silence. I've been preoccupying myself With my anxiety coping mechanisms, watching a crime show, putting on noise in the background so I don't have to think about my thoughts when I start going, okay, let me turn this off. Let me choose silence. Let me choose a meditation. Let me go through my list of meditations and pick one really quick and just tune in. And those are ways that help me feel grounded feel realigned coming back into alignment of who I am the truth and from that place it's easier to now start saying yes you know what I am gonna audition for that part that I was too scared to audition for I am gonna learn my lines for that you know what I am actually gonna go to the gym and work out I am gonna do that today from that centeredness and groundedness it's easier to start saying yes with like authenticity, like an actual yes. Like there's important yeses that are like, fake it till you make it. Say yes, just keep showing up. And eventually you'll catch up with yourself. Yes, where it's like full on my whole body and I'm ready and I'm here. Ah, I just love it. We also had
0: Tony Robbins on the show this year, which was really incredible. And seeing that he loves to motivate people to move out of resistance, I had to ask him how we deal with imposter syndrome. And this is what he said.
5: If you are feeling like an imposter, you need to do something to get better and grow and expand so you're not an imposter. But also along the way, you got to be less focused on you and focused on serving, then you're not an imposter if you get the result for another human being. And that result could be bringing joy or happiness or helping to heal. There's so many things we can do. You don't have to have all the skills to even do it. But human beings, when they're in their head, they're dead. (laughs) So the way out of your head is through good service. It's through acts of service. It's like, I think love is an act, right? Don't tell me how loving you are. If you're really loving, do something, right? And if you do something, I'm not here. And then the other thing happens is like, you start to see the good you're doing because you're not doing it to get something. But after a while, it accumulates back. It's like, you can't help and love on so many people without it coming back to you tenfold. It doesn't always come back from the person you help. Sometimes it hits you in the back of the head from somebody you don't even know. But- This imposter syndrome is the biggest joke on the planet. All it is is being selfish, focusing on yourself, beating yourself up, talking about what you're not, telling other people how you feel. It just means you lack courage. And when I say lack courage, it means you're just not using it. Everybody's afraid. Here's what I can tell you. I've worked with kings and queens. I've worked with every living president and three past presidents that are no longer with us. I've worked with the greatest athletes. I've worked with the winners of Academy Awards and Grammys and everything you can imagine, billionaires. I've never met anybody who doesn't have a place where they don't feel like they're not enough. It's just you may not be feeling it right now, but something can trigger. I'm not old enough. I'm too young. I'm don't. i not rich enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not sexy enough. I'm not whatever. The way out of that is stop focusing on you and focus on serving. You don't feel that way when you're really serving. If you're serving and thinking about how you're doing, then you're still in you. But if you're out here, the game's over. And when you do that enough, it changes your identity. And there's a point where you can't deny that you are who you are. You're not perfect, but you're you're a good human being. And there's a lot to be proud of in yourself. And so go to work. Stop talking about this crap. Stop telling everybody about your imposter syndrome. Stop making excuses. Go immerse yourself in good things, good books, good audio. Because if you don't feed your mind every day, You know, weeds grow automatically. You don't have to work on weeds. My teacher, Jim Rohn, used to say that. Said you got to plant the seed. Every day, you got to read 30 minutes or listen to audio for 30 minutes. I don't mean the stuff that comes to you to your phone, clickbait. I mean something you consciously select to make yourself stronger physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. Do that five days a week, 30 minutes a day. Don't miss a meal. Do your 30 minutes. You won't have any imposter syndrome. Wow.
0: Wow, wow, wow. All right. Well, I also love the episode we had with popular violinist and dancer, Lindy Sterling. She said such a beautiful thing about stepping out of ego and moving into the flow and really showing up with love for her audience. Take a listen. You, when I see you, like when you're in the zone, I'm like, she's moved out of the way. Yeah. And so that takes some level of something. And I'm curious if you could talk about having experiences like that when you know you're in the flow, you know you're in the zone like that. And what do you think that is? How would you explain that?
6: Well, I have a theory. I don't know if it's real or not, but you know, it's everybody has like an aura and an energy, and it's not just a woo-woo term. It's like literally a measure oh, of course that they can fee- they can see the waves and they can you know when they measure them, and and I think that artists that have a r- amazing ability to connect or those people that have that it factor that's just indescribable. No one knows what to call it. I really think that those artists know how to channel their actual like love and energy and those emotions that create those waves, because literally gratitude and love have a different amplitude than nervousness. And, you know, and this is all science. But I think that that energy and being able to like, really focus in on it and harness it, and then project it, I think that is what makes those magnetic, it factor performers. And it's something that I've In the last few years really started to work on and I've started to like meditate before shows to try to imagine myself literally sending love into the audience as if my aura is like exploding and I wanted to go to the very back of the room and more so than focusing on I hope that I'm enough and I hope that like they like me because that's how I used to go on stage. I used to step on in a state of like I hope they like me and I hope I'm enough. I hope I play well and they think I'm good enough, but that's almost setting yourself up for failure. If you step into a party like that or a room or a date or whatever it is like, I hope they like me. When you step on in a state of like, I get to give a gift and I get to share with this room, with this audience, with this group of friends, like who I am and I'm going to show up for them rather than hope that they like me. It changes everything, so, like, I meditate and visualize for shows. I do breath work now to try to strengthen my my like magnetism and the ability to send out the love. And that's the focus that I now step on stage with. Is literally, I want them to feel my love. The music will happen. I've practiced countless hours. I'm prepared. Now I just need to send them love. She's
0: so great. Another artist we had this year is one of my all time favorite singer songwriters, Ben Rector. And I want to share this amazing clip because he talked about this concept of magnetism. But so often people are waiting for someone to come along. So what would you say to them?
7: I think, so I've I've actually thought about this a lot. This is going to be super random and may not make sense. But (laughs) I think you can work on your like overall magnetism. Like when you see, Mm -hmm. um, think about like Willie Nelson, for example, Mm -hmm. whether consciously or subconsciously, what he is, he's like, if he was a video game character, like overall <laughs> magnetism score would be incredibly high. You're just like, I have to know more about this person. Right. And it, you're such a, a thing. So I feel like pretend like creative endeavors or trying to do something creative. is like you're floating in just like outer space and you're an asteroid, right? Hmm. You can work on your magnetism score. You can write better and better songs. Wow. You can present yourself better. You can, whatever that is. And so- you can't really control if your magnetism is going to just like pull a bunch of small things toward yourself, or if your magnetism is going to like pull you towards a giant asteroid, but you can, let's say your magnetism score right now, is like, I'm like a six out of 10. It's like, if you can be a 10 out of 10, there's no way this doesn't work a little bit. Worst case scenario would be like me, which is like, my magnetism is pretty high, but I've never flown by an asteroid that was like, this is the sickest asteroid ever. It's like, perfect timing at you know columbia records and my magnetism just like popped me into the asteroid where it's like wow you're a part of this now because your magnetism is so high i haven't like flown close enough to anything like that at the right time but just hanging in free space because my magnetism scores high i'm just like pulling space dust towards me the whole time and so like you can that can work or you can kind of like be at the right place at the right time and if you're magnetic enough. You get pulled towards something else that's bigger and it helps you. So to me, I would say anybody that's like, how do I do that? I would be like, use all of your energy to become the most magnetic space thing you can. And that is the most you songs and the most you branding and like improving Uh. it. So anytime you're in front of somebody, if it's on a TV show or opening for someone or at an open mic or whatever if your magnet magnetism score is 10 out of 10, anything you come in contact with, people are going to be like, whoa, dang. And you you might not get lucky. You might not have Clive Davis be at the open mic. Mm -hmm. And that's you can't do anything about that. But if your magnetism is nine or 10 out of 10, everybody at that open mic is going to be like, have you heard of this person? This is (sighs) crazy. So that to me is the only thing you can control because you can't control whether or not fill in the blank music tycoon is like, you're my favorite thing ever, but you can control how magnetic you are. And then every opportunity you get, if it was a space race, the person who's like nine out of 10 on magnetism floating through space is just going to draw more things to themselves than seven out of 10 every time. It's a self-perpetuating thing.
0: I love Ben so much. (laughs) One of the other most memorable conversations was with Gabby Bernstein, she was so open about a really painful loss that she experienced. And we both shared some tears together. Um, and I, I was really touched because when we were going through the episode, I said, you know, I don't have to share this part if you want. I can cut this from the episode. And she said, no, I think this is really important. And so we shared it. And I'm hoping that this uh, is moving to whoever needs to hear this. And I'm hoping that this
3: touches people um, the way it touched me. So the baby was alive in my body at five and a half weeks, and I had to go into the hospital. I had to live with him knowing he was going to be taken out of me, and I had to go into the hospital, and I had to let him go. And his name was Owen, and I believe he came into my body at that time in that way to give me a lot of grace, to give me a lot of opportunity to learn an opportunity to get closer to my husband, an opportunity to really give my three-year-old my all, and to just really never sweat the small stuff ever again. And so what I noticed was all the decades of personal growth and spiritual work just hold me like a pillow of faith when this happened. And I was able to even witness what I'm noticing right now was this part of me, a protector part of me that was dissociated. It's a very important part that shows up in times of crisis. And I think it's necessary at times. And I was able to notice, okay, you know, dissociated part is just up and she's doing her job right now, which is to numb you out and then titrate into the grief and then go back to numbing and then into the grief. And that's what we're doing even here right now is being able to touch into the feeling that I'm so grateful. This isn't necessarily like the wrong word, but that you activated in me in a really profound way. And I'm great, deeply grateful for that because I've been very removed. And so grief is just like this. It's going to come in, in moments like this public for podcasts, and then The work is to be fully present in that moment with that grief. And then when you notice that part of you that wants to just be like, okay, I'm going to check out now, or it's time to get back to work or whatever, then just say, thank you for helping me not live in this grief, not live in this victim mentality. And so I think that the healing process and to go through grief with grace means that you have the bravery to titrate into it and touch into it and then come out and then go in and then come out. And that's actually a lot of what the trauma healing process is. It's it's not rip off the bandaid and just feel it all at once. It's just notice what's up and then come back to safety and then go back in and come back. And it's slow and it's going to come in random moments. And I'm so grateful that this was one of them.
0: You are so easy to love and you're so beautiful, like inside and outside, like, when Hashem made you, he just put so much extra glitter and magic in you. And you know that. And for you to be able to um, be really with with this in this moment, like for everyone who's listening and everyone who has you on a pedestal, which it's appropriate on some level, you're pretty amazing. But this mm-hmm. is your legacy. Like this really shows the, the way in which you are so so available to really live this fully spiritual existence. And I just want to add this because we, you just gave such a beautiful opening. I just wanted to add this, that you and I shared such a similar, that's such a similar fact pattern. That's the circumstance that I lived, that I went to Cedar sinai with a baby that was alive in me and it was around the same time, the 20th week. And it was so painful for me, Gabby. And I had gone through 11 rounds of fertility treatment. And this was like, it was similar. I got you. I know. Exactly. Yeah, you got me. And I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a healer in Jerusalem. And I was like, this is insane that I'm like spending this next week with this being. And it's like the most painful, like I wish that God would just like, let God do it. Like, why am I even in the... anyway, she said, Kathy, you know, it's our belief in Jewish tradition that we see the mission before we sign up for the assignment to come into this world. And she said his soul looked into the future and signed, volunteered for the mission, Mm -hmm. knowing that this would be the tikkun, the whatever the soul needed, like this was it. And then she said, can I just say to you, how cool is it that his, entire experience of reality was Kathy. Like all he knew about the world was your, your vibration. And she goes, what a gift. Like, like that was his full experience of reality. It's just you, your way of looking at the world, the way you breathe, the way you dance, the way you see it. She goes, what a high level. And then I said to her, This is so hard for me to do this. And she said, Kath, you know, Torah, right? She's like, what's the hardest test? The hardest test is Avraham going up to the mountain with, with Isaac. And she said, and what do we learn? That they went together, that he walked with him. And she said, you're not going alone. She goes next week. When you go to that surgery, you're going together. Like, together you walk there, you together, you go there, which was just so amazing. And when I came out of surgery, I was crying and I turned to the doctor who was there as I was waking up. And I said to her, I'm crying. Like, why am I crying? I'm not in any pain. And she said, Kathy, I've done so many different kinds of surgeries. She said, I've, I only saw that a couple times, and it's only been with mothers. And she said, as soon as we took him, you started to cry in the OR. You knew. Yeah. And you, you've you been crying since then, and you're not in any pain. And that next night was Shabbat, and when we were singing Shalom Aleichem, the last verse is say Le Shalom, where you, like, tell the angels, like, they can go. And the soul hangs out for a few days, and I said to the kids, he's here now. So just... Oh. Like, thank him for being here and let's just send him back with, like, so much love. And and I felt similar to you that the amount of um, love that came, the roses, the flowers. I, my house was like a floral shop, people. Oh,
3: it was a floral shop, yep.
0: <laughs> and I felt that feeling of, like, maybe he can't
3: let me experience
0: being carried on wings of so much love. So many people so unconditionally, so... It's amazing how we can choose what we make meaning of. Well, I will never forget that. I also talked about some other big things with actor Justin Baldoni, and we got his perspective on the afterlife, which was so beautiful. Check this out.
8: Everything that has impacted my life and my view on death comes from the Baha'i teachings. Bahá'u'lláh says, I've made death a messenger of joy for thee. Wherefore dost thou grieve? And that was the basis, that was the foundation for my last days. How can death be joyful? And the deeper I go into that, and when I go into the Baha'i writings, when I go into what is talked about, somebody once asked Abdu'l-Baha, which translates to the servant, he was the son of uh, Baha'u'llah, he's who Baha'is looked to as kind of the perfect example in his life. Somebody once asked him, how does one prepare for death? He smiled. A big joyful smile. and says the way that one would prepare for any journey. Mm. With excitement. With longing. How often, like when you're going on a trip, a vacation, yeah, you are thinking about it all the time. In many ways, it kind of makes you less present. And you're like, oh, I need to pack my bags. And Sure. Let's say you're going to Hawaii. It's like, oh, God, I cannot wait to just get on that beach. There's a longing because you know where you're going is different and a little bit better than where you are now. That's why you're having a vacation. It's an experience. What Baha'u'llah teaches is that where we are going, where death takes us, is a new life that is far more incredible and beautiful than we could ever imagine here. And the way he helps us understand that is he gives us the analogy of the womb. In the womb, we are technically alive. And this is not diving into being pro-choice or pro-life. This is like the Baha'is believe that the soul begins at conception. So you're alive in in the womb. And you're having an experience. You're having an experience and you are developing things that you have no control over. Developing your eyes and your ears. Your heart's beating. You're developing your skin. Your lungs. But you have no use for them in the womb world. You're in a floating matrix, if you will, and yet you're getting everything you need from outside sources. You have no free will. You can't decide to do anything. You're just there. And all of the things you're developing, you're going to need for a place that you've never been, that you don't even know you're going. The interesting thing is that place exists two inches away. It's two inches away from where you are right now when you're in the womb world. You have no concept or frame of reference to what it is. And if you were to tell a baby that outside their world, just two inches away, is the most beautiful place you've ever imagined. There are mountains. And there's a sky. And there's a sun. And there's heat and cold. And you're going to need your skin and all your nerves to be able to feel the warmth. There's water you're going to be able to drink it. There's air that you can breathe. That's why you need your lungs and all of the light and the colors so you can see. That's why you need your eyes and the smells for your nose. That's why you're developing your nose and the taste. Oh my God, the taste. There's going to be food that you can eat and you're going to have a tongue that's going to help you taste all of those things. And you're going to have legs so you can walk. If you were to tell this little baby in the womb that all of this existed, the baby would say, what are you talking about? You're crazy. I have everything that I need. And yet, just outside the womb, two inches away, is this world that's existing. And one day, the baby dies of the womb. And it's uncomfortable, it's not easy, and is born, goes through a a tunnel of light, right? And is born into this world. And suddenly it needs everything that it was developing. There's a purpose for it. There's a use for all of these things. And the best part is that that whole time The baby was in the womb. It was being loved by somebody. Somebody was nourishing it because it didn't have free will. Somebody was caring for it. Somebody was hopeful for it, ideally, getting ready for it to come. And that's who greeted the baby upon its birth. It was greeted with love. Then we come into this world and we know God said, okay, one day this world's going to end. But I'm going to give you a clue. The things you're here to develop are no longer material. They're no longer physical. It's now the spiritual parts of you, your spiritual eyes, your spiritual ears, your spiritual sense of smell, your spiritual legs. What are those things? They're virtues. Honesty, kindness, sincerity, steadfastness, love. All of these things are the spiritual arms and legs that we will need where we're going. And the best part is that all of the people that have left us, like my friends from my last days, family members, they are already there just like we were waiting for us, loving, praying for us. Because when we go through that tunnel, when we go to wherever we're going next and we have no use for our physical bodies, they're the ones that are there welcoming us just like they were here welcoming us the first time. Which is why when my daughter was born, I had a 360 experience and I realized Oh my God, this is the circle. For nine months, I prayed for her. I loved her. I talked to her, right? I joked with her. I was waiting for her. And as she came into this world, my voice was the first voice she heard. And it was a prayer for her life. And I held her and I touched her and I put her on mama's body. And I'm going to get to do that again, just differently because I'm going to get there before her and I'll be waiting for her in the exact same way, loving her and praying for her and welcoming her into the world. Just like I did the first time. And that, when you think about life that way, that's what Abdul Baha says to look forward to it. So I have to pack my bag. I have to pack my bags while I'm alive. And what do I want to put in my bag? I want to put my virtues because I know where I'm going. I don't want to go to Utah and go skiing, but only have summer clothes. I want to put all the stuff I need in the bag so that I'm prepared. And that's what this life's about. Virtues, kindness, love, sincerity. That's what I'm putting in my bag. That's what I'm working on because that's what I'm going to need where I'm going next.
0: So incredible. Now we're going to hear from someone who actually went to the afterlife, uh, had a near death experience, Dr. Evan Alexander. I was just blown away by what he shared. His story is so powerful.
9: So, what I went through were basically three different phases of, of kind of the afterlife experience. The first was in a very primitive, coarse, unresponsive realm. I called it the earthworm's eye view that came packaged with a perfect musical melody, and it was by remembering the notes of that melody that I could conjure up that light portal uh, again and again through my journey, because I would tumble between these various levels over time, as I explained in the book, Proof of Heaven. But anyway, so the initial passage up from the earth, from my view, is into this brilliant, ultra-real gateway valley, There was no sign of any death or decay. And I would say that's the realm where we reunite with higher souls, with our higher soul, with our soul group, you know, loved ones who have left the physical plane already. That's where we plan next incarnations and go through life review. That's the most important part. Because the life review, which has been talked about going back thousands of years, uh, is a beautiful example of how we're sharing the dream of the one mind. And that the our sense of here and now and sense of self blurs completely in those life reviews. That's why the life review in many ways is like the golden rule written into the fabric of the universe. Treat others as you would like to be treated. Because the life review shows us very clearly that if we hurt others, we're hurting ourselves. Now, in that beautiful Gateway Valley, I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing, millions of other butterflies. Uh, thousands of souls dancing in the meadow below. And I said there were souls between lives. And of course, those who've read Proof of Heaven will realize one of the most beautiful aspects at that point was my guardian angel, my spiritual companion on the butterfly wing. It was actually identifying her four months after awakening from coma that it was the, oh my God moment about the reality of the whole journey. So it turns out, that my first awareness of the divine was this soft summer breeze or what I call divine wind or breath of God that blew through. And even though what I witnessed and how I described it could stay fairly similar, that was my awareness of the power of the divinity of that infinitely loving God force. And I can tell you, after coming back from this coma, I realized that trivial little discussions as to whether you want to call that force God, Allah, Brahman, Vishnu, Jehovah, Yahweh, Great Spirit, those are meaningless little human issues that have nothing to do with the grander power of the truth of that infinitely loving healing force at the core of our very conscious awareness. And so what then happened was all the joy and festivities that I witnessed uh, in that valley, all the joy and merriment and children playing and dogs jumping, every bit of that was being fueled because up above were these swooping orbs of pure angelic beings. They were angelic choirs. And these chants and anthems and hymns would just thunder through my awareness, this uh, incredible sense of power and majesty and awe. And yet it was a spiritual home. It felt like I had finally come home. Those angelic choirs provided yet another portal, a light portal up into this brilliant core realm. Now, the core I witnessed as I ascended to these levels all of four dimensional space time collapsing down, then all of that spiritual layer of the, of the gateway valley, as well as a different ordering of causality that I call deep time. Very important concept to explain that time flow in that realm is not identically matched to time flow in this realm. But bottom line is in the core realm, all paradoxes, all of the dualities of this world, male, female, good, bad, dark, light, etc., everything's resolved into pure oneness in that level. And that's where I acknowledge the oneness of my very conscious awareness with that infinitely powerful and loving deity, that God force and coming to see as many near-death experiencers describe that we're never separate from that. Now, I would cycle through these realms because they're in that sanctum, sanctorum of the divine and the core, becoming one with God with a higher dimensional multiverse. There is a complex oversphere for teaching lessons. I would then tumble back down to that earth or my view. And it was by remembering the music, the notes. Uh, and these are notes that go far beyond any notes that could ever be put together in music in this world. But an idealized form of music, I but by remembering all that, that enabled me to conjure up those portals again and again. But I was always told going into the core, you're not here to stay. You'll be going back. There came a time when they weren't kidding, and I could no longer conjure up through remembering the musical notes. I couldn't get out of that earthworm's eye view. To say I was sad at that point, that would be an understatement, but I also knew I could trust I would be taken care of. And that is, in fact, what unfolded. I remember my some of the last things I saw before I came back to this world. Circle of beings, thousands of them going off into the mists, heads bowed, murmuring, energy coming from them that was very reassuring, comforting, uh, just like I'd felt in those higher spiritual realms. But this now is coming from these beings in this lowest realm. And I realized I was being led back to something. That's when I saw the six faces that emerged and... Five of them were physically present in the ICU room the last 24 hours I was in coma. Therefore, they served as what are called veridical time anchors. And they showed that the coma journey happened between days one and four, one and five of my seven-day coma. At any rate, I came back to this world at the very end of the journey because the last of those faces I saw was of my son, Bond, 10 years old at the time. Now, of course, I didn't recognize him because my amnesia was still in full force. But that was the Sunday morning, day seven of coma. The doctors had estimated I went from 10% to 2% chance of survival, but with no chance of recovery. So they recommended that Sunday morning stopping antibiotics and just letting me go. Bond had been protected from the worst news during most of that week, but he heard this. And when he did, he ran down the hallway, pulled open my eyelids, one eye looking over there, one eye over there, and neither pupil responding. Those of you in medicine know how bad that is. At any rate, I did not see him with my eyes. I didn't hear him with my ears. But somewhere very deep on my spiritual journey, that message got through. He was pleading with me, Daddy, you're going to be okay. Daddy, you're going to be okay. I did not understand the words, but I fully sensed the connection. And in fact, to that point in the journey, I had thought this can all continue, it can cease, none of that matters. I was just enjoying the ride, but now I realized, oh my God, it absolutely matters. I had to come back for that other soul, no matter what it took, and it was the hardest thing of the entire journey, it was the first time I truly felt fear, because now I knew it mattered, and I willed myself back to this world.
0: It's unbelievable, right? I also love talking with Alicia Silverstone and I thought it was so interesting how her activism for animals helped her find her own self-worth.
10: Listen to this. It really just takes me back to when I was twenty one and made this decision to change my life with my food. And I think what it was is that I felt exactly what you said. I didn't have self-worth. I was my job was to please. I had a very little sense of self, but what I had going for me was youth and sort of rebellious stupidity, you know, where I didn't know the consequences of my actions. And I also didn't care because I was young. So that combination is interesting because while I was a people pleaser and didn't have a strong sense of self and worth, what I had was a passion for animals. Like that's what got me. So if you had said to me, Alicia, it would be a really good idea for you to eat differently. It'll make you feel better and look better. I would have been like, Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell like that I couldn't do, because that would be for me, right? Because I didn't have the worth yet. If you told me, you know, something about I think the at the time, I well, I probably could have gotten down with the earth. It just wasn't what hit me first. What hit (laughs) me was the animals. I loved animals. And when I had the awareness that I was like, if everyone could just think that every time you eat any kind of meat, you're eating your dog or your cat. I think it might change things because you really are, you know, just like when you eat fish, you're eating a whale, a dolphin, a turtle, all of these endangered sharks, endangered species who are being wrapped up in the nets and they, you know, they're just throwing it overboard. So sorry, fun stuff. But the point is that the message that came clear to me, what you're talking about, that's that um, empowerment. Yeah. When I decided to make this change for the animals, not for me, it was like, I remember going, I may not be healthy anymore because I didn't know about health yet. I may not enjoy food ever again. Oh, my God, this is going to be awful. But I will stand with the animals. This was a commitment for them. That kind of commitment changed my whole worth. Suddenly, I was walking around taller. I didn't have this pressure in me anymore. I felt lighter. I felt empowered as a woman. Like I can say no to something. I can say this is not okay and I'm going to do something about it. This was huge for me, for my female self worth. It was huge. It started to leap. I take everything that I did with the animals as the best karma that ever happened to me because it changed my whole life. Not only did I ditch my asthma inhaler and stop wow. allergy wow. shots and, you know, lose a ton of weight and lost all my acne and you know, got really thick, strong nails and great hair, all that stuff, whatever. All my medical stuff went away, but I became empowered as a person and led on a journey that allowed me to listen to my heart started once I was empowered enough to know, Oh, I can say no to something. It took me a long time to be able to know, say no to people. That was a harder step, <laughs> of course, but, but I was on the journey now. Now I had a taste of, well, this is wrong. And if this is wrong and I'm saying no to it, then perhaps I can say no to things that are wrong to me. Yes. And perhaps I can listen to what my body needs and what I, my heart needs too. It took a long time, but it was definitely the thing that busted the door open and allowed me access to my heart and my self worth and my truth. Such good stuff. The next clip is from the
0: amazing writer, Alex L who shared this empowering message about setting boundaries and choosing yourself.
11: Not only do boundaries, clear boundaries, save relationships with others. They save the relationship with yourself. And so for me, I have seen the women of my family of my lineage break their back and <sighs> carry the world on their shoulders and nurse the babies and feed the home and not eat. Cause everyone else is eating. And my God. I would Don't you go just away.
0: want to scream from a mountaintop? It's enough. Like, I just want to <laughs> scream it, write it in the sky.
11: And we are conditioned and raised to abandon ourselves as an act of love. That is not a safe place to be. No Boundaries are needed so that we can be in relationship with self and others in healthy ways. I'm a mother of three, as I mentioned, I'm a wife, I'm a friend, I'm a daughter, I am all these things. I'm a teacher, blah, blah, blah. And if I am nothing to myself, I can't be anything to anyone else. Hence why we need boundaries. No, I can't do that today. No, I'm sorry. I'm booked. Maybe let's look at next week. No, I don't want to, you know, like it's okay for us to choose ourselves and it's okay for us to not always be available. Here's what I learned. I was a constant yeser, even if I didn't want to do things. Okay. And then I would end up one showing up, not as my best self, because I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to do it. Or two canceling at the last minute, which is so inconsiderate and terrible, <laughs> Like last minute, like 30 minutes before I'm supposed to do something. I'm like, I don't, I'm not doing that. And that's like, okay, that isn't great either. And so what I have learned is that if I am honest with myself about the capacity that I have about what I want to do and what I don't want to do, I will save myself and my relationships because nobody wants you to show up half ass. They may think they do, but they don't. I know for me, if I ask a friend to do something or if if it's, you know, a job or whatever the case may be, I want people to be intentional about the capacity that they have. If it's a no for you, let it be a no.
12: Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. Another female powerhouse we had on the show this year is Lisa Bilyeu, who co-founded Quest Nutrition. She shared this moment about the day she and her husband found out they were both worth a billion dollars. But what's more inspiring about the story is how they reacted to that news we actually sold Quest in two portions. And the first portion that we sold Quest in was a
13: small amount, but that was really the pivot that changed our lives. That literally, I mean, one day you go from, you've got a Ford focus with a hole in the exhaust and the (laughs) steering wheel is shaking when you go over 60 miles an hour to all of a sudden now you can go buy a freaking Ferrari, right? Like that's actually like like that. So it's crazy. Now, let me tell you, me and my husband over time, as we built Quest, for me and him, it was about the mission. So we really like, it was originally like, how do I save my house? And then it became, Oh my God, I can't believe it. What am I made of? This is so exciting. I can prove to myself every day that I can improve myself. So that became my North star. And then over time, as I faced more obstacles, it was the mission. So I had women that were riding in that basically this one woman said she was 40 pounds anorexic and in on her
0: deathbed in hospital. So, 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 so sad. Oh my gosh.
13: Oh and she wrote in saying that she thanked us for Quest Bars because we finally made her okay with calories again. There was another woman that wrote in saying she had a type 1 diabetic son. Oh. And for years, she had to snatch and take cupcakes and things out of his hands ever he was at parties. And she said that he can actually eat Quest Bars now and his insulin level doesn't spike. Oh. And so she said, thank you for making me feel like a better mother. Like how emotional can you get over that? Yes. So now there's no amount. Okay. So that was the thing. So we went from, I was driven by the fear of losing my house, but that's a fear-based motivation that isn't sustainable. And my motivation and my mission turned into a mission-based, which was I get to help anorexic women. I grew up with my mom, borderline anorexic, and then catapulted the opposite direction into severe obesity. And so when it comes to health, nutrition, and weight, you better believe I will show up every day for that. So literally you think I'm joking. There was one day, where we were selling a small portion of the company. And you hear rumors, but until the actual money hits your account, anything can happen. So <laughs> we're sitting there for months and then we hear rumors that one day, all of a sudden, today's the day. So we're working out in the garage, in our little scape little garage, the workout system that we had. And my husband in between reps is refreshing his phone. Right? And so we're sitting there, refresh, refresh, did we get it? No. Refresh, refresh, did we get it? No. Refresh. Oh my God! Hit our account, life changing, right? We took a couple of photos, we took a couple of selfies, and what did we do? We got changed and went to work. We didn't tell a soul. I told my mom and dad, but we didn't tell anyone in the company. Why? Because we showed up every day for the mission and not for the money. And so now you can understand why I think wealth creation is beautiful. I think women being wealth creators as like as humans is incredible and i want to encourage that because i think just like a superpower you can use money for good or you can use it for evil but how do you make sure it doesn't dictate how you show up every day and that is how so even to your question about this you know if there's someone at home listening wanting to make a billion dollars i like and this is my own experience i would say that is the wrong goal because you'll never get satisfied
0: ah wow Speaking of amazing, I want to share this clip from one of our past students, Gail Keyes-Allen. She is such a force, and there is no way you won't be inspired by her story.
14: So I have something exciting to tell you. Three weeks in January, so the second, third, and the past week, I made $50,000. I got my W-2, and on my corporate job where I made six figures, between January and May, when I quit last year, I made 41000 And I made 50000 really in about 10 days. This is the other thing. I didn't launch a thing. How crazy is that, right? I was sick in November and December. I had bronchitis. I had a sinus infection. I was having all the things. So I didn't hardly make any money. And I still knew that it was coming. I just held on to my belief that it was coming. I didn't worry about getting a job. And for all of you, I'm single, I'm divorced. I have no husband, no other income here. It's just me. So all the people that think they can't quit their job because there's nobody, no other income, it's just me, me and God, we're doing the work. And I did a free one week masterclass, kind of like you do your challenges. Kathy, no notes, no nothing, me and the whiteboard, right? People were signing up and then I gave my, my current clients the opportunity to re-sign at my lower price. I want everybody to know I started out at 3K for six months. Then I went to 5K for six months and now I charge 10K for six months and I help women make money without a freaking job, mostly through becoming coaches. So either entry-level coaches, or women that want to be coaches, you do not need a certification. I will hold your hand and show you the way. You do not need a certification. I made 50000 without launching. Like, no sales page. This is the other thing I tell people. You don't need a freaking website. You don't need a freaking LLC. You don't need a sales page. You need nothing but yourself. Nothing but yourself. I'm in the middle of writing a business book called Newpreneur. I made that up. I work with new entrepreneurs. I'm relaunching my podcast, the Newpreneur podcast. What? See, Kathy, Kathy interacted with me. So she knows I'm a different, my whole energy is, I'm on fire. You know what? I said one day, I feel like I'm, I'm like living the dream and it has nothing to do with money.
0: And that's
14: it. Yeah. I mean, nobody could give that to me. A paycheck couldn't give that to me. And and the other piece I want people to know, which I had told you in that hot seat, is my daughter was born three months early, two pounds, one ounce. I had a brain tumor. In fact, I had three major surgeries in one year, a brain tumor, back surgery, and my thyroid removed. And then about nine months later, I found out my my ex-husband, we were together 24 years, found out he had a girlfriend and a whole secret life. So I have started my life over again at around 50. So it's just a testament to what's possible. And in between, my youngest brother died of brain cancer. My mom died. My dad died. My, my, my grandson has a disability. He's two years old and was born. One of his arms is shorter than the other. It's not fully formed. And we are happy up in this house. And it has nothing to do with money. My grandson is the happiest little person you can imagine. Nothing to do with money. This is bigger than money. The money is amazing, yes, but it has nothing to do with money. And um, Kathy, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. If you had not said do it messy, you you can't even imagine how many times I've said that to people. I'm just going to do it messy. People have criticized me when I make a spelling mistake. Oh, you shouldn't put your business out there. Don't tell people how much money you make. I mean, I've heard it all. Even my best friend doesn't talk to me anymore. And I've been friends with her since I was 19. But you know what? How many people's lives am I affecting by just showing up and telling my story?
0: Oh, my gosh. Gail is so incredible. I actually heard from her recently, and her business has grown many, many, many times since then. It is just so awe-inspiring, just knowing her, knowing her life story, knowing who she is and how she shows up and how she's been truly changing the lives of so many people in this business and seeing how much it just continues to just grow and grow and leaps and bounds. It's amazing to see our students and how they step into versions of themselves that their old selves can't even believe. And I'm just so in awe and proud and inspired by her. So to wrap up, I wanted to share something that I shared at one of our retreats. It's a bit of tough love, but I sincerely hope that for all who are listening, that you really take this in and use it as fuel to finally stop apologizing and stop playing small and step into your full fierceness and power. Here we go. They don't get a mesh They don't do this dance. They don't start calling in all the worries about how you think about them. No, they're like, I'm a dude, I'm gonna be direct, this is the price, if you don't want it, move the f*** on, I'm over it, you can make your own fucking decision, cause you know what? Man up! <laughs> You're gonna man up, I'm not gonna coddle you, get out of Feel, you. Give me 15 burpees and call it a death. Like, and then you guys are sitting there and oh no, oh my God, why do you think we're in this situation? Why do you think we're in this world the way it is right now? All the women are codependent and we have all the answers. we are literally sitting on all the answers and while we're sitting here, having enough courage to just go out there and make your first time for a month They're in D.C. Like, they're sitting there right now. I'd be like, that's funny. anyway have you some know. lines of coke later? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I've had people like, oh, did you hear so and so candidate? has like 16 baby models? Like, that's not new, they all do. <laughs> they, that's, not, that's not interesting. They're all having affairs, you know? what? all of them. JFK, Clinton, they have Kennedy and Clinton that. That's just what they do, and they're still good at what they do to a certain extent, right? And we're all co-signing, it's fine, it's great, because they don't do this. So why are you doing it? Why are you doing that? You know what you're doing? Passing this disease to a next oh, generation God. of women. Oh, you shouldn't charge that. Oh, my God. I know that she makes a shit ton of like, I know you make a shit ton of money, but, like, no, don't charge aspiring anything. You should go do that, that. because you already have it. Seriously, Wait. these guys, and there's no, they're there. They're teaching bro marketing. They don't know anything else. But what they know how to do is say, here's a price. They know how to own that shit. Then they say nothing else. Like, the whole sentence is the price. There's no other words. And the person makes a decision. And then they move on. Next golf game. Next big transaction. Next deal just gets made. But just go ahead and take a look next time. You just look at the prime ministers and presidents of these almost 200 countries. We're, we're not representing. We're just not there. There's no leader. And then we sit in these rooms and we're like, I know what I'll do. I'll create like something for my kids, after school, nonprofits. Like, stop it. Go make money. Be rat. Move into power. Move into leadership. Or, you know what? Let this them move is- for you. Go let them take away whatever they want. Let them do it. You're letting them right now. So you can't complain about it then. What are we doing? Seriously. We are reverting in time. We're rewinding clocks, you guys. I can't. No. And it's because of this shit. It's because of, I can't charge, I can't, it's not yours to decide. Let her choose for herself and let her grow a pair so that she can now grow into her thing. That's what you should be ashamed of.
10: Really? You want to be ashamed of something? Be ashamed of that.
0: Yeah. How many hours, days, and weeks go by and you're just going to keep sitting on it? He's not. While he sat in this room with this much strength, this much beauty, this much heart, you know how much money was just made by douchebags who are sitting around. What are they going to go do with it? Take away your right? And I have three daughters. The stakes are about as high as they can be, and you know that. Stop. It's gross that this much talent is being kept because. I mean I charge this much money. It's like no. Your grandmothers wish they had the luxury. Get on Instagram and say something like this. That they had this education. They didn't have it. They didn't have the right to do any of this. you have it. They sacrificed. They did so much that you could be sitting here. Oh my god, what will they think? What will they say? I can't handle it. I'm not, I, I don't know. I don't have enough credibility. They'll, they'll just melt. Yeah. Maybe 92% of the people in your audience and the people you know will be like stuck. And then 8% are going to go, up in. They move. She moves the next person. She moves to the next person. Well, we did it. Thank you so much for making this a phenomenal year. None of this would have been possible without you, truly. If you want to get all the fun episodes coming up in the new year, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. And it would mean the world to me if you took a second and shared the show, leave a review. And if you take a screenshot and send us the review, that is a good head start because next week we're going to be doing a giveaway and there's going to be some really fun prizes. And if you do share the show and you leave a review, you will be already ahead of the game to enter the giveaway. If you can think of one person who would benefit from hearing this episode, text them the link or post about it on your Instagram and you can tag me at kathy.heller. And before we leave, I just want to remind you that if you want me to be your coach and you want to be someone who's telling these stories like Gail just told us, You can join Abundant Ever After, which will help you not only rewire your subconscious and help you start to become aware of where you might be in your own way, where you might be holding yourself apart from fully stepping into what you really desire, but it will also help you go from idea to income. It will help you build a business and show you exactly what to do so that you can start to get paid to do the thing that you love most. If you'd like to join that right now, it is still on holiday pricing. You can go to kathyholler.com slash join You will be so happy that you did, and I would love to spend that time and get to know you and coach you in this program. I hope you have an amazing new year. I hope this year is the best year yet. I'll leave you with a song, and I'll talk to you in 2023.